0: So um, good morning, everyone. I'm Matt, as you may now know. Um, I've been here a while. You may have seen me. You may remember me from last year. That's fine. Um, So today I'm bringing about the grand finale to this series on Ruth, when we started around four weeks ago, and we've come to this point in chapter four where we're going to focus today. And we have this tension as Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's outside the people of God. She's lost everything she has, and she's seeking a man, Boaz, to marry her and to redeem her. However, we have this problem that has arisen where this other man is actually in line to redeem her first, and it may not be Boaz. So we're going to see how this problem is resolved and how they are, in fact, redeemed. um, From where we've got to before. So if you remember, when we began, we had this family living in Moab, husband, a wife, two sons. They are originally from Bethlehem. They moved to Moab, and their sons got married. But 10 years down the line, all the men have died. This means that the women in the time in the society, they are vulnerable, they are disadvantaged, with no men to care for them. So Naomi, who's the mother-in-law, says she's going to go back to Bethlehem, and she tells the daughters, go home to your families in Moab. There's nothing left for you with me. They'll care for you, they'll provide for you. You can still have a future. One goes, but Ruth stays with Naomi, and goes to Bethlehem. They arrive there, and Ruth goes searching for food, and she comes across this man called Boaz. He treats her very well, they eat together, and when she returns to Naomi, she finds out they're actually relatives, and that means he can redeem Ruth. So to really understand what goes on in chapter 4 in particular, we need to understand what a kinsman redeemer is. This is a system in the Old Testament where the nearest male relative of a widow was expected to marry to marry them and to provide for them in tragic cases such as here where the husband has died. They would purchase property off them, and this meant they were expected to use that land to provide for food for them. And depending on who it was, so in this case where Ruth has no child but she is within childbearing age, you were expected to provide an heir for them to carry on the line of the person who had died so that name would not be lost. Now, if you were the family's redeemer, you were expected to carry out this duty. And if you did not, it was incredibly shameful for you. So because of this, Naomi says to Ruth to essentially propose to Boaz. So she meets him in the middle of the night, lies down at his feet. And I mean, I'm no relationships expert, but I would not propose to anyone like that. You may. (laughs) But Boaz seems to take it quite well. He's like, "Okay, you chose me. I would love to, but there's someone before me. That's the problem we've got as a closer relative, and we're going to see how this problem is resolved in chapter 4. So that's how chapter 3 leads off, which brings us on to here. I'm simply going to read it now, and I apologize, not if but when I pronounce things wrong. I mean, I'm trying my best, but I'm no bilingual person by any means. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz was passing by, And so he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders in the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell this piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before the people who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me so that I may know and I will redeem it, for I am after you. He said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on this day you buy from the field the hand of Naomi. You must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself, you may have my right of my redemption, for I cannot redeem it. And the exchange of land to confirm any matter, a man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, "Buy it for yourself." And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, "You are the witnesses today. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Mahlon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabites, the widow of Mahlon, to be my wife." in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. May you achieve wealth in Wrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring of which the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons who has given him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman said to the name, A son has been born to to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, to Hezron was born Rum, and to Rum, Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. So, We start off, we've got Boaz here, who's just sat at the gate, and this relative who we learned about in chapter 3 walks past, so he says, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Now, I think it's very important just to stop here and look at how he addresses him. We know this man is a kinsman redeemer, he's a close family member, but he's unnamed throughout the entire book, and he stays that way. And this, at least for us, could be very strange, I mean, he's very important. I mean, if I forgot some family members' names, that would be rather humiliating. And if I wanted to describe my family to you, I wouldn't say there's my brother Dan, there's me, my mum called Deb, and this guy. Like, we wouldn't do that. I would say, I would say this man's called Mark. He's my dad. He plays the piano. He's an all-round cool guy. But maybe I'll take that last one back. In light of this, we can know there is a reason he has left, been left unnamed. It's not just Boaz being forgetful. This is a Hebrew idiom. It's like saying Mr. So and So. It gives us a negative, imp- a negative impression of him immediately and implies judgment. So Boaz gathers 10 elders, and we see here that something official is about to take place. They are witnesses to this transaction, and it's likely a crowd would have built up over time, Like when we see something on the street, something a performance or talking. Every now and then, if it's mildly interesting, we'll go and take a look. So we know that people have seen, this is no ordinary chit-chat, something big is about to happen. So Boaz begins by saying, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell this piece of land, which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy before those who are sitting here, and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it, but if not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one to redeem it, and I am after you. Now this here is an offer the man cannot refuse. This is the best thing that's happened to him in a long time. Here he would get all of Elimelech's land so he can farm on it, and eventually when he dies, he can give it as an inheritance to his sons. All he needs to do in response is take Naomi into his household and care for her, and since she's already past childbearing age, he has no duty to give her an heir. It's a no-brainer. He says, I'll redeem it, that's fine. And to be Naomi or Ruth here must be devastating. You're looking and thinking, Boaz, this man who has cared for us and shown us grace and love, is suddenly just selling us off to this guy who we've just met, really. You must think, is he given up on us? Is this the end? Is he thought, I've cared for you enough? I'm going to pass this burden on to someone else. But we realized in this moment, Boaz was actually in control. He says, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabite's, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Now, if there's ever a lesson on reading everything you sign, I think this would be it. Because this is like Boaz's version having small print on the end of an advert. You know, like when you have a sore throat or something, you turn on the TV, you get an advert, and it says, oh yeah, you take these pills, you'll be fine. You're up and running in no time, right as rain. But then at the very end, you've got the letters, which are far too small, and the woman, which speaks too fast, and it says your eyes are going to bleed, and your legs will fall off in your sleep. And it's like, you realize this is going to cause you more problems than you actually thought in the first place. You're going to be worse off than when you were before. So Boaz has just given him this miracle medicine, bringing about blessing in his life, and then he quickly adds on Ruths on the end, and this was a deal breaker. See, if he takes on Ruth as well, he has to marry her, and that means he has to provide for her an heir. And as a result, once he dies, this land in which he would just take would no longer go on to his current sons, but would go on to the one that was born to Ruth. It was something he was not willing to do. He already has children, he's married, he's got much going on in his life. He decides, I'm not going to take on this extra responsibility. He has, You can have my right of redemption. He passes it on to Boaz to go, with, to go through with. And whilst we're here, I think it's important to know that our Redeemer was not like this man. Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, didn't look at humanity and think, I'll pass, that's far too much for me to go through with. Rather, he came through into this world with the full intention of buying us back and taking us from this place of spiritual hopelessness and darkness and despair and bringing us into new life. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our Redeemer came, but he didn't reject us when he saw how broken we were. He embraced us despite our standings of enemies of God. He renews our hearts, giving us hearts of flesh, ones that love the things of God, love the things that he is truly destined us for. And he promises promises us an eternal inheritance with him in a kingdom which will not end. But here the relative neglected his duty to care and provide for the family, and he's remained unnamed because of this. In an effort to preserve his own inheritance, his name was ultimately lost throughout time. Boaz gladly takes on the land of Naomi and Elimelech's property. He adds on, moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabite's, the widow of Mahalon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. You may or may not know this, but being someone from Moab in Israel was not cool. It was not a good thing. You were enemies with each other. But he doesn't cover that up at all. He says, now she's my wife. I paid the price to redeem someone outside of the people of God. And that's just like us. All of us were outside the promises of God due to our sin and separation. But ultimately, through the work of Christ, we were now members of this family. And if you pay close attention to the language used to describe Ruth throughout the entire book, it's pretty glum, ultimately, the whole way through. If you go in verse, what, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, she's Moabites. In 2, verse 10, she's a foreigner. In 2, verse 13, she's a servant in a field. In chapter 3, verse 9, she is a servant who's desiring marriage. And we go through all this hardship and despair. But at the end, we come to chapter 4, verse 10, where she is a wife. The Moabitess who was far from these people has at last come into the family and the part of Israel since she's now an Israelite's wife. The trouble that Ruth has faced with the death and hunger and childlessness throughout her time has all been resolved through Boaz marrying her. Now Boaz can provide food for her and we see ahead she doesn't remain without an heir and that was actually taken care of as well. And this death and despair which has been going on throughout her life is now changed to rejoicing and celebration In verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. It's a bit awkward, I'm sorry, I'm going to not go too far into that. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. Now here we have a very slightly different perspective than before. We've seen in the story we have natural disaster with the famine. We've seen individual initiative of Naomi and Boaz leading on and how they're going to redeem Ruth. But at this point, we're told the Lord enabled her to conceive, and our eyes are open to the fact that there's something much bigger going on than we first thought. This is one of the only times in the entire book that God is mentioned to be in the foreground of an event. We always sort of know he's in the background doing something, but here we see he was fully at work all the time. The author makes sure we know where the credit is due with all of this. Now, of course, Boaz was rather influential in bringing about this child, we're not going to deny that, but people want to say that God deserves the credit because he provided the redeemer. People at the time knew that God was truly at the heart of this redemption and restoration, that through the trauma and horrific loss of life, God was at play and working everything for their good and for their redemption. God was the one who gave them the food, the one who provided the air, and making provision for something else far greater, as we'll see in a little bit. And this is still true for us. God has not ceased to be sovereign. He's still at work today. He's not given up on us at this time. Paul in Romans 8, 28 puts it, all things work together. And David Platt is an American pastor. He once said, we can rest confident in the fact that nothing will happen to us in this world apart from the gracious will of a sovereign God. Nothing. And for Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, that's pretty much how the story ends for them, their life here on earth. She was a foreigner in a strange land that she'd never been before, and after her husband's death, came and found an Israelite man, and everything she had lost had come back with far more than expected. But even though that was the end of the story for Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, it was not the end of God's story, as they were huge instruments in I think the best way I've seen this described is I always think of all the Marvel movies in like the past 10 years. You you watch it and then you get the credits and you have two minutes at the end where you you see you get some characters you may know, you may not. And they're doing something. You don't really quite know what's going on. But then the next film, the next film, and eventually down the line you realise something much bigger was being led up to here. And that's exactly what's going on. This story doesn't end with that, but it has a genealogy at the end, which goes from Obed, who's Ruth's son, and ends with David, who was king of Israel. And we know that the, that family line doesn't just end there. But a thousand years later, there was another king which was born, Jesus Christ. And you can see that in Matthew chapter 1. It was a plan to give us a great king and saviour. A king who would not just show us the way to the Father. But he says, I am the way to the Father. He didn't proclaim truth, but he said, I am the truth. And he didn't say, look, I found life over there. Come, Come with me. He says, no, come to me. I am the life only I can satisfy. Jesus was the final goal, and that's why I want to echo the words of the women that they said to Naomi. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. You, I, everyone in this room has been given a redeemer, Jesus, who died on a cross 2,000 years ago and gave himself up for us. He took on our sin, our guilt and shame, and he took it to the grave. And three days later, rose again so that anyone who puts their trust in him will not stand condemned, but before God will be righteous and co-heirs with Christ. If there's just one thing you take away from this, please let it just be that you are not without a redeemer. That is so important, it's the truth of the gospel. He's not left us in spiritual darkness and emptiness and despair, but he came and promised us abundance of blessings and eternal life which we do not deserve. And unlike the unnamed redeemer, Christ knew how much it would cost to redeem us, but he did it anyway. He went through with it. He didn't look at humanity in our fallen state but he came into this world to save us, despite the cost of giving his life for us. He was willing to redeem us at all cost. Like the women in the story who had nothing, we are spiritually pitiable. We're in fact dead, as the Bible describes. But God in his grace, out of his love, came and provided for us, as Boaz did for the family in their marriage. And God will grant us what He need, what we need. He gives us our salvation first, a right standing before him. Not that we earned it, but he loves to give it freely as a gift out of his grace. And he meets our spiritual food, he gives us his word, he gives us communion, and he gives us the privilege to join this family called the church. The marriage of Boaz and Ruth to redeem points forward to when Jesus will marry his bride, the church, for all eternity, a far better marriage. In verse 10 where Boaz says, I have acquired the Ruth, the Moabitess, to be my wife. I once again want to zoom in on where he says where she's from. Now, being from Moab at the time in Israel, we know it's not a good thing. They were enemies, but he brought her into the family anyway. He looked past that. I witness another example of what's happened to many of us in this room. We know through much of history, God dealt specifically with the Jewish people, but through the coming of Christ and his sacrifice for sin, he made a gateway for everyone, for all tribes, tongues, and nations, to join the family of God. So that Gentiles are now included in that. And that is just pictured through... Ruth joining in this family. It's a beautiful mirroring of what will happen in the future when Christ marries his bride, not based on anything, but on us standing on his work. As Paul said in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. We're no longer divided, but members of one family and all equal co-heirs with Christ. You may remember that the unnamed redeemer said he would not redeem the woman to un, in case it would um, ruin his inheritance, but this could not be any more different with our redeemer, who in fact came into this world redeemed us so that we would share in his inheritance. Romans 8:17 says, if, or, "And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him." He was not concerned. He was not concerned about everything, but actually he suffered and died so that we would share his inheritance, which First Peter describes as a hope to obtain, an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, it will not fade away and reserved in heaven for you. Amen. In light of this, I think due to the time we're living in, we can see that the book of Ruth was one encrypted gospel message right the way through. God's plan for redeeming humanity was right there at the start. It wasn't just some sort of, late, oh, no humans are rebelled, why well, I do think up a quick plan? But he was working through it for his glory throughout all of history. I think one of the clearest pictures is how Boaz, being the redeemer to Ruth, was symbolic of Christ and the church, and the actions and behavior of Boaz mirrors that of Jesus in the New Testament. Christ is our close redeemer, and a far better redeemer. Jesus will redeem us despite our brokenness. He will marry us, yes, even men are included in the bride of Christ, We will get to feel what it's like to walk down the aisle. I'm excited. (laughs) And like Boaz, Jesus will provide everything we need. The glorious destiny of spending all eternity with the great Saviour. That is the bigger meaning of Ruth. At the end of it, it's pointing to Jesus, who would only make his appearance one thousand years later. And this story can be hugely impactful on our lives if we allow it to speak in our everyday situations. I think one point to take away would be patience. This is a hard one, especially for me. Like All the information in the world is at the fingertips. You want something, you go on Amazon, it's at your front door by the next day. So for, at least for me, I know it's very awkward. But I think it's clear in the book of Ruth that everything didn't just happen overnight. It was a long and tiring process that they were going through. It involved lots of pain and lots of suffering. And there was lots of waiting going on. The story of Ruth doesn't just happen in an instant, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of suffering for each person. In fact, I find it quite amusing, because we have the whole book of Ruth, and chapter one is pretty much just women saying goodbye, and chapter two is just some people having a conversation in a field. Chapter three is just a conversation between Ruth and Boaz. In chapter four, in one verse, we have a wedding and a baby. (laughs) But during the time, the women would have had to be patient and live their everyday mundane lives as often times I imagine it looked, God had just completely left him. I think like Sarah was saying earlier, like David, we can often think, like, where are you here? What's going on? And we know, at least from chapter one, Naomi was really not happy with how things were going. We may be thinking, where is God in my life? And I don't want to minimize what anyone's gone through or going through right now. We're actually told as a church to stand with people in suffering. But what I do know is from scripture that God is sovereign, he is in control, and he's working things for his good for our good and his glory. He says in Isaiah 46, my purpose will be to establish, my purposes will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. If you remember, his good pleasure is to do his people good also. And at times, we, like Naomi, we may not see what's going on, but we know God is working out his will. And he has not excluded us from some of this. He's all involved in this plan. We have to play out our role no matter how big or small we think it is. It's all being used for by God. And it may not play out for us as we expected, but I am pretty certain that God has a good idea of what he's doing. And if we can trust him with our salvation, we can trust him in our lives, and we trust him in all situations. Another point is to love people. Since we are shown such a great love by God, would we not also want to express that love to others? A love for people should be a natural response. Once we grasp the love that was shown to us, we should want to overflow onto everyone else also. We see how Boaz did this too. And he exercised this love, it's a Hebrew word, done out of obligation, it's committed above and beyond. When it came to his generosity towards Ruth, he demonstrated this hesed love. And we are to do the same in our lives to show the unlovable love and the merciless mercy. Not because we expect something back, but mercy and love was shown to us in Christ. I also think it teaches us to hope for the future. When Boaz married Ruth, he was now her provider and could promise a far better future for her. As he claimed, and as Christ will claim us as His bride, He claim, He promises us a glorious destiny in His Father's house. I need to clarify here: this doesn't mean that once you come to Jesus, all of a sudden all your problems are going to be fixed. Excuse me. But it doesn't mean that in your world everything's just going to suddenly get right as rain, as well it did get better for Ruth and that. But in our lives, it's not just a material blessing that we're going for. That's not what happens when you become a Christian. The message of Christianity is not just choose Jesus and reap the rewards, but it's one of daily self-sacrifice and struggles in life as we go on day to day. We follow Christ, we lay down our own ambitions for the King who gave it all for us. But in the middle of the sorrow and the pain, we can experience what Paul did in Philippians when he said he can do all things because Christ was strengthening him. And that he's talking exactly about whether I have things, whether I don't, I will carry on. So the application is hope, love everyone, and patience. I know, if, I thought you could stick, cause since I got H, L, E, and P, you could stick that into help, and Boaz helped, but really that spells hilip, so <laughs> take it or leave it. And now lastly, as we come to an end, you may have noticed we haven't done communion yet, and I did that on purpose, because I thought, in the book of Ruth, a lot of it is looking back at their life and seeing what God has done already, but then at the very end, we see it's a looking ahead. And in communion, what we do is when we drink and take the bread, we say, look, look at what God has done in my life, look at the cross, look at all this, but also look ahead to what is coming next. So I thought, like in First Corinthians 11, it says we proclaim the resurrection. There are stations at the middle of the room, if you'd like to help yourself, and I would say if you consider yourself a Christian and you follow Jesus with all your heart, and that's what you're going for, please do take it. You can, you're in this, you're going for God, and you can take part in that as the family. But if you would not, just sit this one out, that's all I ask. But just think about what's been said today. Talk to someone, whether it's me, someone like Al, or whoever you came with. would love to talk to you about it, and I just want to say thank you for listening, and God bless.